You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. My thing is helping people understand how our brains work so that we can be better and do better in any area of life that's important to us. So as well as bite-sized brain science, I'll be bringing you interviews and advice from experts and guests who specialize in working with entrepreneurs and leaders to help them explore potential, possibilities, and ways to be more effective. And the best bit? We can start right now. Every now and again, I'm ridiculously taken by a book. I read it, I reread it, and then I insist that everyone else reads it too. From Startup to Grown Up was one of those books. So just imagine how pleased I was to get the opportunity to talk to its author, Alyssa Cohn. Alyssa is the undisputed queen of startup coaching, named the world's number one startup coach at the Thinkers 50 Marshall Goldsmith Coaching Awards. When reading her book, you might think she's also in the running to become the Prime Minister of Tough Love. But it works. Alyssa has coached so many startups that have gone on to become household names, including Foursquare, Etsy and Venmo. So what is it that she tells these founders as they start out on the road to becoming leaders in their industries? Well, in the next 20 minutes, we're going to check out some of the key topics and the very pragmatic advice and tools included in Alyssa's book. So I strongly recommend you join us for the conversation. So Alyssa, thank you so much for writing this for a start. I absolutely love this book. It seems to be one of those things that really everybody should read first. (laughs) Well, of course, I agree. Thank you for having me. and, And I agree that everybody should read it and read it first. Yeah, I totally agree. Do that. It it just seems like, you know, there are so many things in here that people do not realize. It's a bit like, you know, getting married or having kids. You don't really know what you're getting into, but th- it's all laid out in here. Um, I was wondering, what, what are some of the kind of sticky fixes that you see people getting into that are really avoidable as startups and founders? Well, I mean, there's so many, you know, what I cover in the book, my book is divided into, it's called From Startup to Grown Up, and it's divided into three sections managing you, managing them, and managing the business. And oh my goodness, there are sticky fixes in all of those sections. I would say maybe two or three clear ones are, number one, insufficient self-awareness. You don't realize that you as the founder, you carry a big shadow. You, Everyone's looking to you to see what you're thinking, what you're doing, and the way you act really affects the entire company, even though you don't fully know it. You know, in the book, I tell a story about a founder that I know who said, you know, I can be sometimes indecisive and conflict averse. And then I watch my entire company being indecisive and conflict averse. And so that's sort of insufficient self-awareness and how it then bleeds into the company. And then number two, nobody likes to give feedback. Nobody likes to give positive feedback. Nobody likes to give negative feedback. Feedback is uncomfortable for so many people. So those, I mean, I go on and on, but those are two key ones. Uh, you know, I, I I love that you picked up on that first one there because I've actually, I, I have marked that first one that you mentioned as one of my uh, pieces to refer back to in the book again and again. I guess, you know, the, the thing that came to me as I was reading it first time around was the idea that it's kind of... Um, we're like a body, a nervous system. We have all of these things. I think maybe you even mentioned that as well, that the the company is not just any one thing. It's the things that all go to make it up together. And that, of course, is being driven by that founder, that CEO, whoever it is that is holding the vision. And this idea of the the work is in you, 
And that modeling of behavior is so important. I mean, it really does take a lot of self-awareness to see what you're doing, to actually notice the things that are having the impact. Where do you suggest people start if if they aren't actually thinking about this? Well, there's a lot of ways to do it. I mean, of course, I am a coach. And so I think you should all get a coach and you should have a coach do 360 feedback for you. If you're not inclined to do that, if you think that's, you know, cost prohibitive, you can actually try to figure out who around me as a founder, who around me are my truth tellers. Mm. And can I go to them and ask them, hey, listen, if there's one or two things that I could do differently to help me be a better founder, a better leader for this company, what would they be? I think it's more helpful to ask for suggestions rather than sort of so-called feedback, because suggestions anywhere are more helpful. They point you in the right direction. And people don't mind giving you suggestions. The last mm. thing I would say, or more, I should say more suggestions more than feedback. But the last thing I would say is that, you know, all of us have the opportunity to open up our peripheral vision kind of emotionally. And all of us have the opportunity to kind of say, huh, is everything the way I think it is? I don't want you to get mm. self-conscious, but I do want you to be a little more attuned to your environment and see if you can pick up more signals. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really important. I mean, I know I've seen myself people who are very, very driven. And that's, you know, that a lot of people who tend to be in this position at the, the head of a new company, they, they are the driven ones. And in order to be that driven, it sometimes means that you kind of you do have blinkers on, you don't necessarily see what's going on around you. And then I suppose the, the other side of that is that it takes a lot of courage to be open to what that might be. It does take a lot of courage, like to be honest. I mean, it really makes you vulnerable. It also, it's just uncomfortable. That's why people don't want to give feedback because the person who receives the feedback becomes uncomfortable. And I guess I would say that um, it's worth it because, mm. and I, I also think that in general, the adage is true. You know, your life and your business are going to be more successful in direct proportion to the number of, of uncomfortable conversations you are willing to have. And I see that because it's uncomfortable conversations where you learn the most, where people are being the most honest with you, where you see maybe a difficult truth at times. You know, I work with one founder and super driven, super high strung, very um, committed to the company. And his people felt like whenever he dealt with them, that he was interrogating them. And that always made everybody feel clamped up. And believe me, they were not giving their best because they all felt clamped up and they felt concerned and they were also doing extra work just to make sure they didn't get yelled at, kind of is how they said. And so that's just time consuming and not productive. And so he had to really see that his inner critic and his high strongness was bleeding out in a difficult way to the rest of the company. That was difficult for him to see. When he came to terms with it, then he was able to be a much more effective leader. And then the company got faster. Hmm. Yeah. Again, I suppose the other side of it is what you refer to as the, the superpower that people have. And it seems like that superpower might actually be one of the things that would set up for feedback, set up for any other kind of difficult conversations that might need to happen. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the, the superpower that people have? Uh, you mean praise? I mean praise, yeah. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Well, I think it's um, I think it's a secret weapon. I think that what happens is people don't give enough praise in any context, really. But if I'll just talk about the work, the workplace, you know, people are like doing their thing, especially in startups, but in all companies, it's hard 
It's mm. hard. It, you know, it's ups and downs. People have a very um, intense emotional experience at work. If they never, if they only see you, the founder or you, the leader coming in as a critic, as a corrector, as somebody redirecting you, then they're never going to get the encouragement and the benefit of knowing, hey, you are doing a good job. So uh, I would just say that everybody has the opportunity to be more proactive, to be more sort of um, intentional about the way they are encouraging their people. And the best tool you can use to do that is free. It's just about noticing what is working, noticing what they're doing right, and telling it to them in a specific way. I tell you, that will transform your workforce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really does mean a lot to people to actually know that they're doing things, uh, you know, that they're, they're not going to run into more of that feedback that everybody dreads so much. And I, I did think that, um, you know, it, it was maybe a, a difference in something that we don't do here in, in the UK and Ireland. I thought that was maybe part of our kind of reticent nature, but apparently not. So I'm, I'm glad that that's not the case, but I suppose we all have work to do on improving that. Yeah. So I suppose the other thing then about praise is that, you know, we've got people again, very driven people um, who are very ambitious that they, you know, wanting to make a change, wanting to do big things. And they tend to have very high standards. Do you think that praise and the giving of or maybe not giving enough of is to do with having those very high standards? Yeah, I mean, if people have high, like founders have high standards, founders are often quite driven because of their own inner critics. Founders um, are quite self-motivated and they are not mm. always aware that not everybody is as self-motivated as they are. Also, founders are doing 117 things. If you are doing your job and doing a good job, it's like I can just forget about you and check you off my list. For all those reasons, I totally understand it. And the other side of the coin is this. People do their best work when they feel safe, when they feel confident, when they feel empowered. And it's not about, it's not about like, oh, give, just delegate and trust them. Trust is a whole other topic. But it is about giving them specific, clear signals. You're doing a mm. great job. Keep, do, keep going. Or the way you figured that thing out was amazing. I so appreciate it. It takes like 20 seconds. And it gives people the sort of the hope and the confidence to continue to obviously just to continue like moving forward and to continue and coming in every day, even though it's hard, but also to try even bigger things, to take more risks, to spend an extra time trying to figure something out. That is what the benefit of praise is as compared to the cost, which is like 20, 30, 60 seconds. Yeah, it, it does seem like it's uh, as well, I suppose, a little bit of a, a stitch in time saves nine. And we, we really do have to stop and think. And when there are so many things going on, as you say, it's very hard to do that. And it's like we, we assume there's some kind of psychic connection going on and that everybody can read exactly what it is that we want from them. Um, when in actual fact, they are waiting for maybe some guidance, some instruction. Um, we feel we don't have time to give it or they should just know this. That, that's a hard situation to be in. Yeah, I think that we all get um, subject to this human, you know, the, the, the sort of human error that we think people can read our minds or we think it's clear. What I talk to my founders about all the time is like, you know, do they know that? Oh, yeah, I'm sure they know that. Did the words come out of your mouth? Because if the words didn't come out of your mouth, they may not know it. And so mm -hmm. we have to all, we're all subject to that. But certainly in the fast pace of startups where things can 
evolve and morph and change quite quickly, that's super important. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, having that message relayed, that's, again, something that you covered in the book as well and where the role of your managers and your, your team who are rolling that out comes in. I believe there was a song to go with that, which I can't remember the words of, but it seemed it did seem really important that, you know, this idea that people were repeating things again and again and again, because as we know, it takes so long for people to actually take something in. Yeah, because they're also they're thinking about their things and also they have their own um, maybe point of view and they hear what they want to hear. So you have to keep repeating yourself and you have to also remember that. If you're a fast-growing startup, you've got new people coming online all the time. And mm. maybe you've said it 10 times, but the new people haven't heard it yet. So there's a lot of reasons to, re- to repeat yourself and realign and recalibrate people. Mm. Yeah, um, there, there was something that I was going to ask you. And um, it just it kind of seems crazy not to because this comes up again and again with groups that I'm working with. And I think it's this idea that people are you know, they really want to contribute. They really do want to contribute. But sometimes, um, again, maybe it's it's kind of a, like a politeness or something that they don't necessarily want to stand on anyone else's toes. How do we open up the doors for people to do that, to actually um, bring what they've got to the table and not feel like they are maybe, um, I don't know, crushing someone else's vision or, you know, getting in the way or doing the wrong thing? Yeah, you know, in the workplace, that's the thing about praise. Like you praise people and then they get, get encouraged and they show up a little bit more and they are they dare to share their idea. Mm-hmm. When you don't, to your point, they're afraid of stepping on someone's toes or they're uncomfortable or they have this inner inner uh, insecurity, which is like, maybe it's not right. Maybe my idea is not right. So that is all true. I think that coaching and developing a coaching culture is super helpful from that point of view. Coaching culture, especially based on questions like, tell me more. What do you think? Could we get everyone in the room to participate? Those kinds of discussions are much more helpful in, the, in bringing out people's best ideas in a, in a sort of a safe manner. But I would also say that when you're clear on, like when you get role clarity, that also really helps. As in, mm. are you the decider? Are you someone who is coming in to give um, input? Um, are we asking you for your advice? I mean, it's like, it's also really helpful to understand where people sit in terms of how responsible they are for the decisions being made. Because when they realize they're not the decider, but they are an advice giver, they may feel a lot more free just to say, well, this is on my mind, but ultimately you guys decide. Mm, mm. And something else that runs a little bit parallel to this um, was the idea of building relationships within the company and within the group, sort of internetworking almost. I really liked the way you put that idea that, um, you know, people do need to make sure that they have relationships across departments and so on as well. Yeah, that's true in startups. That's true in all companies. You know, the truth is that it, it is 100% true, backed by research, that the more cross-functional relationships you have in small companies and in large companies, the more successful you will be, the more likely you're promoted, the more likely you'll get your work done because you've got buddies to call in all parts of the company to help fill in the gap, the normal gaps of knowledge that you have in your job. Also, it just makes your workplace a lot better when you feel like you know a lot of people and you're in the loop. Yeah, yeah. And I I suppose as well for small companies who are going out there, maybe looking for other connections, suppliers or customers or whatever, that idea of networking, if, if we do it well internally, we're probably more likely to do it well externally as well. Very true. Very true. 
Mm. And actually, that was one. That was the first place that I encountered you was um, the networking of, uh, program that you and Dory Clark did at with WBEX. And I have to say that was that was pretty awesome too. Um, that oh, really so changed my that. view on that. Oh, was that our, was that our um, four week program? It was the four week program. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then I did a networking masterclass as uh, as part of WBEX as well. I remember. Ah. The reason I say that is because, you know, I'm sort of thinking all the networking things I've done. You know, networking is baked into my business. Everybody's everybody's successful business, I have to say, networking, again, is, is something that, like, the more of a network you have and the more intentionally rich a network, the more successful you will be. Mm, yeah, no, I, I totally, totally accept that. And it was something that I think I'd been scarred in, in the uh, sort of mid 90s by the idea of what it was back then. But of course, the world has changed so much. And, you know, we have so many more opportunities to meet so many more people these days that that it, it definitely opened up my eyes as to what that could and should be. So thank I'm you. so happy. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, the the <laughs> I think one of the other things that came across in the book was the whole idea of, you know, there has to be a lot of tough love in this. And difficult conversations forms quite a chunk of what you go through in this. What 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 do you think is the um I guess the cost of just avoiding and denying that these have to happen? You know, I just talked to a founder yesterday and he was talking about one of his early employees who is now, you know, a leader. And um, basically the topic was they have to do a much better job with their retention strategy. And this leader was in charge of their retention strategy. And he said to me, oh, but she's got so many other things to do. I feel so bad. And I said, well, what does the business need from you? And he was like, oh, yeah, we need a better retention strategy. I said, right. So what are you pretending not to know in avoiding having a conversation with her? The conversation is sort of like a few different things. It might be you need to step up. You need to change. You need to delegate more to get things off your plate in order to think about the retention strategy. Or even more difficult than maybe more likely, the issue is that I don't see you stepping into this retention strategy role and we need to find somebody else who will be able to do it and mm. will be able to come in and lead it. And I know that's uncomfortable, but that's what the business needs. And so when you shy away from those uncomfortable conversations, you're just putting off and shying away from what the business actually needs. Mm. Yeah. And I suppose that really comes back to, again, this idea that the work is in you and what it is that we are trying to protect within ourselves that we don't want to expose uh, or that we don't want to be disliked or any of these other uncomfortable things for us. Totally. Or we don't want ourselves to be uncomfortable by having this mm. uncomfortable conversation. Which is why I see growth of leadership and especially growth of like a founder into a leader as a personal growth journey. When I say the work is in you, just as you say, it's like it requires you to examine yourself and figure out what are you avoiding when you're avoiding things. It requires you to stop avoiding that and to find mm -hmm. the strategies to grow as a person in order to become the leader that you need to be in order for your companies to be successful. Yeah, it's funny. The same words keep coming up again because, I mean, that takes courage as well, doesn't it? Oh, it does take courage. It takes That's why people don't do it. <laughs> yeah. So, if I mean, obviously, there are brilliant people out there who come up with great ideas and they start 
these wonderful things. But they come to a stage where they realise that that role, that CEO role is not for them. What are the signs, in your opinion, that somebody needs to ask themselves the question, is this where I should be? Well, one one good sign is that you're not getting the results, right? So you're not great at forecasting and you keep missing your forecast. And so you're not getting results. And so the business isn't moving for some reason. Another sign might be you hate it. A lot of founders, you know, they they sort of move, they they grow as leaders. They're the CEOs and they don't want to do this job of managing people, coordinating people, of dealing with with people issues, even of like recruiting talent constantly, which is really the job of a CEO. They just don't want to do it. And what they really want to do is tinker with a product. And what they really want to do is go out and see customers. And that's another, I think, important marker. And another important marker is sort of overall, are you continuing to get the best talent? Are you hiring the best people and continuing to advance the game in terms of your leadership and the way your company's operating? And those are some markers that you want to realize that you have to look in the mirror and see, maybe it's not, maybe this is not for me. There's no shame in that. Actually, Mm. self-awareness is a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's where, you know, our happy is, you know, in knowing who we are and what we actually want and being able to just be assertive about that. Yes. Oh, assertive to ourselves, right? Mm. And again, I think we are, the, the most important thing about humans is that we are the best deceivers of ourselves, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I remember reading somewhere that, you know, uh, that the, the smarter you are, the more likely you are to be able to sell that to yourself. <laughs> so. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So that has been just a whistle stop tour, I think, Alyssa, of um, what is actually a book that I think deserves a lot of time and a lot of reflection. That's the other word that comes up a lot in the book. There are questions for reflection. There are there are actually scripts. This is one of the things that I love about the book as well. It's so pragmatic. It's like, okay, I'm, I've got to have a difficult conversation. Oh, hang on. Let me just look in here because Alyssa's given me the words to do it with. <laughs> yeah. My clients find those scripts very helpful. And I, I actually put them in the book because, you know, I'll be having a conversation with a client and we'll finally get to the place where they're ready to have the conversation and they're ready to do the thing. And then they say, but what am I going to say? And I would say, well, why don't you just say, you know, plunk? And I would just tell them what to say. And they, oh, they're writing it down furiously. And I thought, oh, that's really valuable for them. I see that. So I wanted to offer that value to readers of my book as well. Mm, Well, you've certainly done that. Um, So, yeah, as I said, I definitely think if you are think if you're the sort of person who is thinking about doing this, let alone someone who is already doing it and hitting the road bumps, then you should absolutely be reading this book. Um, you should have it by your bedside. You should have it in your office. You should have it on your Audible. Um, <laughs> Buy multiple copies, I think is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Do you know, the only thing I'm missing, actually, is a PDF copy that I can have in my Remarkable to make notes. <laughs> We can we can arrange that. <laughs> oh, that would be lovely. Um, so, Alyssa, again, thank you so much. Is there any would you if you had a parting shot that you were going to give to anyone in this position, any startups, any founders out there who are, I guess, having their issues? What would you say? Um, two things. I would say be intentional and be willing to get uncomfortable. That will be mm. to success. That is wonderful. Yeah, thank you. I think that there's plenty to chew on there. Alyssa Cohn, thank you so much for doing this with us today and I'll see you at the other side. Thank you so much for having me. 
You're still here? Great. Look, I know there's a lot to choose from out there, so thanks for flying with Ambition Incubator Airlines. And I look forward to seeing you on board again soon. Seriously, though, thank you for tuning in. My guests and I love hearing about what inspires you on the show and what advice has made a difference in your life or work and what you'd like more of. So get in touch. If you want to know about my other work, head over to ambitionincubator.com for details. And don't forget to hit subscribe for more great interviews, advice, and bite-sized brain science every week. 